Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. If you have a tween or a teenager, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Sarah Saidi, and she's an adjunct faculty member at Adler University in Vancouver, Canada. She is a qualifying clinical psychologist who primarily works with youth in her community. She is passionate about all things social media, psychology, and pop culture. Sarah takes a cultural and diverse lens in her approach with clients and students. She believes that mental health should be easily accessible to all, and she's on a mission to deconstruct the barriers and stigma that stand in the way. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Good to see you again. Thank you, Allison. It's wonderful to be on here. Well, so we've got a really juicy topic because I have to say in my experience, just from my little corner of the world, I would say that tech and social media is one of the burning issues that is hurting family life um, that often comes up in my clinical practice. So I'm very curious to hear from your perspective out there in Vancouver and the work that you're doing. And maybe you can describe what you mean by working with youth in the community. Describe your work out there and just anecdotally, what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing the same things that I'm sort of seeing that this is a frustration hotspot for people? 
Yeah, so I work at a youth clinic out in a city in British Columbia called Chilliwack. Uh, it's a little bit of a drive from Vancouver, but it, it's a cute farming town. I would say that. And I've actually noticed that during the pandemic, youth have been using social media and screen time has increased. Uh, but with anything, there's like the positive side and there's also the negative side. So I like to call it the good, the bad and the ugly of social media. If you're dealing with youth, see, I'm dealing with parents and the parents say, I, you know, goddamn social media. How do I get my kid off this thing? It's, you know, destroying the family. They're addicted. I, you know, I hear it from the, the parents perspective. But if you're a youth and you've made your way into counseling, they're probably not presenting with, um, could you help me control my social media time? What, what are they presenting with that you that you see as they're coming in for support services? Yeah, so a lot of times these youth are actually finding a sense of community in, the, in their social media interactions. And one of the big concerns that they have is my parents just don't get it. They don't understand. Um, mom takes away my phone. Dad doesn't let me go and on TikTok or sign up for this account. And what I notice is that they want this sense of belonging and they want to be like everybody else who's out there. But then with that, it's a double edged sword because we're seeing a rise in depression, anxiety, attention issues, a lot of ADHD and feelings of isolation and almost like a dissociation from reality. And do we know that these are causative or are they just correlative? Yeah, so there's been a lot of studies, uh, preliminary studies, because social media is still new to the scientific world, even though it's been around for a while. So there is actually a lot of correlational studies, and it's a little bit like the chicken and the egg solution. So are kids getting depressed because they're using social media or are depressed kids going on social media to find that social connection. However, there have been studies that actually look at social media addiction and social media addiction has symptoms and signs that are very real and they're on par with any sort of behavioral or neural addiction. So that's a really interesting area of research. But again, a lot of it is correlational. It's done through surveys, through screeners. We just don't know if it's causing it or if it's exacerbating it. Yeah, and as parents, I think we feel a little helpless because to your point, every parent, and again, especially during the pandemic said, I know that isolation is not good for my children. I know they need belonging. Uh, I want to be able to let them increase their screen time. And of course, they were doing a lot of online schooling, which meant they were in front of a screen anyways. It was very hard to control once the screen is open. Are you really doing your math class or are you watching YouTube videos scroll by to distract yourself? And I think a lot of parents sort of just said it's the Wild West out there. Just do whatever you can. I don't want to hold my kids back in case things get worse. This is the one joy they have. And and parents sort of just 
let go of the boundaries, stop the supervision, um, stop beating themselves up about what's right or wrong about things, because it was just almost too much even for the authority figures, you know, that have a role in all of this to, to pay attention to. And here we are this many years later into social media's invention, this many years later into the pandemic. And we're starting to say, maybe this is going to go on for a long time. These platforms aren't going away. These mental health issues just keep crawling up. Maybe we can't just sit in the armchair anymore. Maybe there's something that we, we really you know need to be looking at here more deeply. So so as you're looking at, at both anecdotal and the research, the chicken and egg dilemma that comes in, you said that one thing that does seem to to or that you're keeping on your radar is is self-esteem is that is that a girl and boy is that a gender specific thing or is that just all teens is there is it age specific tell me about what you've been seeing in terms of self-esteem and and social media yeah so the research has actually shown that social media is affecting teen girls Um, more negatively with their self-esteem issues than their counterparts and uh, males as well. So that sense of connectiveness and social comparison is actually highlighted and exacerbated by, by gender. What is it about girls? Why? What, what's the, the the differential? And and also, just to be really clear, you know, I mean, we're living in a gender fluid society, yeah. so I saw the research still seems to be very um, dichotomous around that. And I apologize for, for for that in our discussions here, knowing that you and I would both hold a more fluid definition of these things. But what? Uh, why does it seem to be that the girls are more impacted? There's just as many guys online. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it has to do with body image. So research has been done that shows that a lot of girls are subscribing to and following different celebrities and the rise of Instagram models. And those tend to be more females as well in a gendered way, um, talking about the statistics. And it's just social comparison theory. So they're comparing their real lives and what they see in the mirror to a highly, highly edited, filtered, romanticized highlight reel of somebody's perfect life or perfect body that's probably been airbrushed and facetuned and who knows what else. And so in there, so we we go online with the idea of finding our people, finding our tribe, and then we find out they're all rich and beautiful and have little waists and thigh gaps. And then that's our motivation to want to, well, we feel inferior to them, but then we start trying to catch up. Exactly. Yeah, it's all about wanting to fit in. And it's actually interesting that you brought up the gender talk, because anecdotally in uh, my practice in the clinic, I noticed that a lot of LGBTQ plus members have actually found their sense of community online. So they're using things like Messenger and Instagram and groups to connect and actually to set up meetups outside of the social media space and without social media that would have been a little dangerous to do and because of social media because it allows for a sense of anonymity it's a little bit safer there's a little bit low stakes um, for you to represent who you truly are in terms of gender and orientation 
so I want parents to hear that, that um, it actually can be legitimate to meet people online and then go meet them in real life. That's, I think parents think everything, you just met someone in a creepy chat room and now you're going to go meet them and you're going to be abducted. And it's like, actually, in this day and age, finding like-minded people or finding people cut from the same cloth or, you know, finding your tribe, finding your whatever, a lot of that can happen on online. It's hard to find people in a postal code in any other way in this day and age. Yeah. And I think I'd like to ease parents' minds a little bit by knowing that's it's not always that creepy random person that they're meeting. So a lot of different um, clinics and community centers have transitioned to social media. So they're allowing for forums and self-help and posts to really communicate with, with kids using their own language. And, and so, you know, it's, it's to your point about the good, the bad and the ugly, uh, you're giving an example of of the good, you know, f- using this tool that um, I guess I guess like um, when we first had, you know, uh, bullets or whatever, you know, you can aim them at somebody's head or it can bring home supper. You know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's the it's the utility, it's the usefulness uh, that the person puts in. Do we put these tools to good use for the, for our betterment? And depending on your activities online, you, you know, you, you're going to go in one direction or another. So this is an example of, of something positive. So finding your people is going to boost your, your self-esteem, I, I, I imagine. How do we move kids that are maybe not so much the, the LGBTQ+, but just the, somebody who just wants to harness this and not feel bad online? How do we get them to not use the social comparator? How do we get them to follow people who aren't wearing filters and curious? How do we convince them from that they're using the tool wrong and it's making them feel depressed? I think having transparency and also as a parent not being scared to download these apps themselves. So don't be afraid, download TikTok, download Instagram and see how your feed is curated and have a transparent discussion with your teen, right? The social media space is like any other space. It's it's really a consumption and like we consume and we watch what we eat. We want to get those vegetables in. Uh, we want to avoid certain processed foods. We can curate our social media feeds in the same way. So just encouraging kids like, did you know that there is a mute button on certain people? You don't have to unfollow them, but you don't have to see their faces every day because sometimes uh, kids compare their followers follower list, right? I'm following this celebrity, I'm following that celebrity, and they want to be in the in crowd. And that's the cool thing to do. But there are buttons like mute and unfollow. Um, There's ways to for parents to actually send videos that they find interesting on social media to their kids to expose them to different ways of thoughts and maybe add a little bit of diversity in there. And kids really usually take it well because the parent is validating them and is making an effort into speaking their language, so to speak. Well, to your opening comment about my parents just don't understand, you know, I I think if we're going to have influence and sway, our kids are going to take anything that we float their way as as guidance 
not control, not rules, but Mm. like guidance and (laughs) guardrails or whatever, um, a lot more seriously, if it does come from a place of understanding. And I think we do need to get inside that world. You know, I think about back in the Victorian days where, you know, there were social protocols, like if you called on somebody, you left a calling card. And if the card Mm -hmm. was turned up, it meant this. And if you turned the card down, it meant that. And there was all these, you know, little nuanced things and there's nuanced things in how quickly you like something or whether or not it's in caps and how fast you get back to somebody by text and all these things have meanings there it's we have to be anthropologists stepping into youth culture and you have a really privileged position because you're you're in your clinic you just you live in that I imagine you're steeped in it Yeah, I mean, even the difference in one generation is so much. And when I downloaded TikTok during the pandemic, I felt like I was a geriatric TikTok user. So I was learning all the lingo and watching the videos. And I was actually having discussions with youth in session. And I would actually recommend TikTokers that they could they could watch. Um, I would talk about problematic ones. So I think that sometimes parents, um, well, they all want the best for their kids. And sometimes actions come out of fear. So preventing kids from doing something or taking away their phone or being really kind of harsh. And that's coming from a place of fear and not understanding this magical thing, a, a new appendage that's stuck on them. Um, so once you get past the fear and you get to a place of understanding, you can actually have really good discussions with, with kids and, and they're very receptive as well. So how do we, you know, how, how do we support them in, in using this tool for the, for the good in terms of, uh, both curating what they want, what they're seeing, making good recommendations around that, or per, like, do you ban, like, do you ban apps? Do you ban certain, um, certain people um, like Andrew Tate? I mean, what do you do if you've got a boy and he's following in? Although I think he's been banned from almost all the platforms now, but he still has secret societies and kids know how to hack and do workarounds. And I don't know, they're still getting access to Andrew Tate. I mean, if you have a, a son following misogynistic, you know, racist people and they're impressed with the the machoism of all that, um, like that's belonging to that's almost like being pulled into like a into a cult, you know, um, how, how does a parent how does a parent see that and intervene in a way that you're going to have their ear? Do, do, do you ban? Do you, how do you, how do you go about it? Mm-hmm. So I think that dealing with social media usage, there's the content part and there's the usage overall. So being exposed to all these different things. So on average, we spend about eight hours of our lives on the screen and three hours of that or 2.5 hours of that is social media usage. And for teenagers, it's actually more than 2.5 hours. So I think that setting setting up physical boundaries, um, maybe talking to your kids about what apps that they have on their phone. Um, I know that Andrew Tate, he has his own platform now. So maybe if you notice that your your, uh, adolescent has downloaded that platform, you can have an open discussion with them and say, what what is it that draws you to this, right? 
really having a transparent understanding and and uh, conversation but as well as setting boundaries and consequences so it's not like just have at it and have your phone all the time so setting family times like dinner time is a time where we all put our phones on the counter or we put it on airplane mode when you're doing your homework we're going to put your phone on airplane mode and parents can actually go into their phones if they're sharing a plan with with their youth and they can monitor screen time right they actually have choices to uh, stop stop uh, certain apps from being downloaded. There's apps that help stop other apps from being downloaded, depending on the age of the kids. But in terms of exposure, if they're not hearing about Andrew Tate on their cell phone, they're going to hear about it from their friends. So just having an open discussion and just from a place of curiosity and non-judgment. I think that's beautiful. And again, I mean, maybe Andrew Tate has his own platform, but you know, you yeah. can't really say no TikTok because just like social media, there's great stuff on TikTok. There's yeah. also horrible stuff on TikTok. So you can't blame TikTok. It's it's the content that's coming through the app, right? So everything has this good side and this bad side. But um, I like the idea of just keeping it conversational. That you you know there are uh, per- parental controls that that can be helpful. You know, if they're discussed with kids in advance, I, I find hijacking them usually makes them upset but I know there's a lot of kids who say it's hard for them to ignore the ping of a text mate it's hard for them to to not watch the next YouTube video when it's on auto scroll like they'll admit that it's difficult and that they wouldn't mind a little support around it I think they'd prefer to develop their their own self-control is 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 there a way that we can work towards the end goal that it's not so parentally supervised is there like a an ex uh, do you know what i mean like an ex the development of of self-control muscles where parents can back their way out of having to to be the monitor well i think that a lot of this is based on modeling right modeling at home so actually parents should step in if they notice that their kid is acting differently from before, if they're being more socially isolated, if uh, they're on their phone more than they usually are. And what parents can do is there there's actually Wi-Fi uh, monitors and alarms and timers so at a certain time at night you can actually program your wi-fi to shut off because sleep disturbances are a huge problem for youth right so sometimes youth need that little bit of encouragement because it does become such an addiction uh, to build those neural pathways and learn okay 10 o'clock is associated with sleep. It's not associated with endless scrolling on TikTok. So sometimes parents do have to jump in and, and encourage kids a little bit. Uh, boundaries are, are needed, right? It's scaffolding and, and teaching how to use social media, but also doing it in a way that's useful and not useless. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think about FOMO and, and um, you know, if every parent was respecting the need for sleep better in the adolescent years, and if more people were offline, uh, you know, when I was growing up, there was a test pattern that came up that said, you know, do you, or, you know, do you know where your children are? And, and television programming stopped at 11 o'clock. There was nothing to watch there. You know, it's like, you know, if everybody said, hey, it's 10 o'clock, you know, get off social media um, and none of your friends were on there, there'd be no FOMO. There'd be, you know, I mean, I guess the Kardashians are still up. There's always content to consume, but not the same as your immediate peer group, you know, that's that have all tucked in for the night, right? It needs that first parent to go first. Yeah. And oftentimes in when people come to clinics, the adolescents, the first thing that they complain about is sleep. I can't sleep. There's too much media and they actually want the help, right? So they're coming to therapy and in therapy, we actually give them tangible skills. Like, have you deleted apps from your homepage of the phone? Have you turned off notifications? Um, just things that physically make it harder to access social media. And it's, it's just like any addiction for people. It's removing the self from the trigger. Yeah. And again, here's where one where one addiction starts to become a comorbid experience, too, because kids who say I can't fall asleep at night and they've got their phone in their room and they're endlessly doing this. And if they turn off their phone, their mind gets busy. Then what do they do? They, they end up vaping. Pot. I've got so many kids that are vaping pot under this mm -hmm. singular um, uh, need to help them fall asleep after being up on their phone with a screen in their face right before trying to fall asleep at night. It's, it's, it's a workaround, but it's not a healthy one. Yeah, so it's definitely the outward behavior of some internal problem and helping to address the internal problem. Is it coming from a place of anxiety? And it usually is. Is it coming from a place of not having control in your life? And usually at night, is there something called uh, bedtime revenge syndrome, where if you don't have enough uh, ability to control your life in the waking hours, your body kind of repels at night and says, everybody's asleep, the world is asleep, now is my time to do do what I want and to feel good. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, certainly, we know that the circadian rhythms of teens are a little different. And I often think teens walk around because it's the only time they have autonomy and privacy in their houses mm -hmm. at one or two o'clock in the morning when everyone's gone to bed. But I don't if we had autonomy in the day, maybe we wouldn't need to wait for everyone else to go to bed to, to feel it in the late in the evening when it's not healthy. Yeah, just 
implementing little choices that give adolescents uh, control and sense of self-esteem throughout the daily life. So maybe somebody is coming in and their days are scheduled down to the second. And the only time that they really have to unwind is at night. And it's really a form of dissociation. If you think about it, it's avoidance and it's withdrawal. And it's just that they probably don't remember half of the videos or 90% of the videos that they're watching during this time. So allowing youth to have a say on their daily schedule and maybe even planning that on the weekends like hey what what do you want your week to look like today of course some things are given you have to go to school um, homework needs to be done at some point but there's a little bit of leeway in what time would you like to have dinner right within a half an hour range or what time would you like to have with your friends or alone time in your room? So really having those talks and getting some sort of schedule and routine in place. Um, so what are ways uh, preemptively, proactively, remedially, I guess all of them kind of apply that we as parents can do to, to help our kids maintain a sense of belonging within our own nuclear family? I mean, I know that friends become an important sense of belonging in the teen years. That's developmentally appropriate and on track. Um, but how do we how do we keep up the belonging to the nuclear family in the teen years when they want to go off and find themselves as mm -hmm. separate from the family? And what do we as parents do um, to bolster that that self-esteem that seems to be lagging in the adolescent years as they're trying to find themselves and they're not really sure they're cutting it? <laughs> what can we do? Yeah, yeah so self-esteem is really rooted in a sense of self-adequacy and a sense of meaning as well. So belonging to a certain group, whether it's a nuclear family, what is your role in that group? How are you contributing? And parents can do that by actually assigning tasks or roles to adolescents, whether it's, it doesn't always have to be chores, but it can be Something like you're responsible for choosing uh, what to have for dinner on Wednesdays or um, picking out a restaurant or you're responsible for creating a calendar for everyone to see what their days look like. Just something to give the person, give the adolescents a sense of mastery and a sense of meaning. I matter in this family. I'm responsible for X, Y, and Z. And that's encouragement as well. Um, do you have any tips for how to, how to find activities for a family to do that's, uh, you know, I just find families are just in the grind all the time. It's get home, do your homework, go to bed. Blah, blah, blah. I drive you to practice. I drive you to your friends. I, I don't know if families know how to be together very well mm. anymore. I think break out the good old board games after dinner, right? Maybe half an hour after dinner. I know a lot of the youth that I work with, they really like a, a card game called Sushi Go. I think that really took off during the pandemic. And I think it's just like an easy, fast uh, card game that can be done after dinner. And it's quick. It can be done in 20 minutes. And it just fosters that sense of connection, right? And laughter and memories. And then everybody's off uh, carrying on with their hectic lives. 
Okay, I'm definitely looking up Sushi Go. We're, we're coming up yeah. to. <laughs> I'm always. I I have always, and my kids have always loved board games and uh, and card games and jigsaw puzzles because I think it's like this busyness of an activity where you have this shared common task, and from it, there's the laughs and the giggles, as opposed to like just sitting down to deep conversation that kind of turns into like. What happened to school today? How are your marks? Did you do your home? Like everything else sort of ends up feeling like a bit of an interrogation, right? Whereas like just true, true playfulness seems to, God, we've gotten so serious. We've gotten so task oriented. Yeah. Play is, and I play mean, is missing. Yeah. Like play externalizes problems that they might have. And hey, your adolescent or youth might be more willing to share how their day went as they're working on something else. Because like you said, just sitting across from someone at the dinner table and being interrogated with questions, you get the good old, it was fine. We didn't do anything. I didn't learn anything. My friends are good, right? But playing a game, it can be like, wow, this this color reminds me of a shirt that my friend Rachel wore. And um, we had this little quarrel in math class, but we solved it. So it's just externalizing something that might be difficult to, to talk about and also fostering a sense of connection through play. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Well, social media is here to stay. So, you know, we had better figure out how to use it, how to, as you say, use it for the positive, use it to develop. Well, we said belonging, but but you say that social media also develops social interest. That's a little different. Can you, can you just, sorry, I'm kind of going in circles here. What, what, what is, uh, can you define social interest to our listeners who aren't at Lyrian? That's sort of one of our little jargony words and how social media can actually increase social interest too. Mm-hmm. So social interest and uh, community feeling are always intertwined. And in Adlerian, we have this big word, Gemeinschaftsgefühl, that we always like to use. Um, so social interest, it can actually help youth become empathetic towards others, uh, reading their stories or experiences, uh, blog posts and comments on videos and TikTok. So it can really gather a sense of empathy and a sense of urgency as well. So there's a lot of um, global movements that happen that are facilitated by social media. I know that in my country, I'm from Iran, and a lot of young people started basically this this revolution that's going on from social media, right? So that's actually taking a socially interested, useful uh, way of using social media to create social change, which is absolutely inspiring. That's a fantastic example, you know, that uh, we did when the Internet and, you know, I think Twitter was the first platform I was on long before Elon Musk. But I remember being really excited about it because I thought about the democratization of information. It was sort of like how the printing press used to be owned by the church and they could control everything that was put out. So, of course, you only heard one opinion from on high and they maintained the control, the uh, the. autocracy and uh, that this was democracy that we could blog and talk and share and and talk amongst ourselves. And, uh, you know, the, um, the Arab Spring uprising was a really great example of that. You know, people weren't isolated and alone. And and, uh, yeah, so uh, let's keep democracy alive in the way that we use this tool for for the good that those are wonderful, wonderful examples. 
Is there anything that um, you wish parents knew or that I've, I've missed in, in asking, although I've taken you in a little bit of a corkscrew direction in our conversation? Yeah, I just want parents not to be scared and not to fear social media as this foreign thing that's going to take over the lives of, of their youth. There are many benefits to social media as well. There are definitely um, some harm, but with everything, it's just about the right amount of dosage, right? You don't want to overdose on social media, but just the right amount is not going to be hurting anyone. Yeah, that in the hashtag inspo and even that for me even varies day to day. There's days where I feel more sensitive uh, and I need to jump off and I can't handle it, whether that's bad news, a bad news day, whether that's my own version of social comparison and other days I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. And I really keep that barometer on how I, I feel as I scroll. And the minute it's not do it, doing me justice and service to my mood, I, I skip off. And I think before I post, I want to make sure that what I post is contributing to the world I want to help build, you know, as opposed to ne- negativities, a lot of, a lot of some of the biggest bands bandwidth is taken up by people who have nothing better to do, but put up hateful terrible things. So I, I think about how I use it too, even as an adult. So yeah, and and not being afraid to set up those boundaries, right? Um, noticing if your kid is self isolating, spending more time than usual in their room, seeing seeming withdrawn, um, really seeming super tired in the morning and not getting enough sleep. So noticing and monitoring those changes, having a conversation um, with your child about those things and also setting up the the different restrictions. So so shutting off Wi-Fi at a certain time, creating healthy patterns and encouraging physical exercise as well. Yeah, so big. Well, listen, just before I sign off on a totally different topic, just because, you know, we're both Adlerians and we uh, attend these wonderful international conferences, and I haven't really um, said much about them on the podcast. And for people listening, they may really like to hear about this International um, uh, Association of of Adlerian Summer Schools and Dreykurzian Summer Schools, and we call it ACASI. So you and I have both been at ACASI this year. We were in uh, the Netherlands you were previous to that you were where else have you been I've been to Romania so there's a bit of fun traveling that happens with these conferences yeah they pick a different location around the world and um, there's a you know host city spends years planning to to have us there and um, you know you're you're going to school but you bring your family I don't know do, do you have family do you go on your own I go on my own. It's usually uh, my time, my individual time. But yeah, lots of people take their families and it's just a multi-generational get together. It is like camp. I mean, it's sing songs and and talent nights and a, a, a lot of fun, a lot of meal, break and bread and meals together. And I think the part that I really appreciate about it is a lot of times when you go to a conference, you get a keynote and you maybe get like a 90 minute or a half day breakout session or a half day pre post conference with with the, the format of a Cassie, you're with the same instructor for the whole week for half a day. So it's really deep, deep learning. So um, and for any level, you can start at any level, right? I mean, I've sent parents to a Cassie that just have taken a parenting class that don't, have n- done nothing in a master's program or an undergrad psychology program. And there's still lots to learn for everybody. 
It's so interesting. Like I've met medical doctors at Ekasi. I've met engineers, lots of students, and whole families that come and use this as a summer camp. It's a great excuse to travel, but there's learning. There's really deep learning that happens, and just the sense of community and connection. Yeah, that's and a those, huge thing. And those kids that come back year after year that go from being the little tots in the program all the way through adolescence and and go on to travel the world to see their friends from around the world. What a great what a great experience uh, internationally in terms of empathy, compassion, social interest, diversity, inclusion. Holy cow, it's wonderful. It really is. And I think I've made some lifelong friends that I still connect with on social media, using social media to stay connected because we're all around the globe. Uh, But yeah, those connections are immeasurable, the amount of impact that they have on our lives. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for the impact you've had on families by bringing this topic to the to the parents and the other Illyrians that are listening from around the world. <laughs> we have an international uh, listenership here as well. Um, and I will um, just toss it back to you. How do people continue on with you? How do they find you on social media or how do they reach out to your services? Go give yourself some shameless promotion. So I'm old school when it comes to social media. I have a Facebook. Uh, people can find me on Facebook. Sarah Saidi, that's my um, plug. And also on Instagram, I've just started that. So I'm, I'm new to the Instagram game, which is kind of sad because I'm a millennial, so I should be on it. Uh, but it's at Dr. Sarah Psychology. Dr. Sarah Psychology. Okay, we'll make yeah. sure we put these up in the show notes as well. I will put up the link to Akasi for people that would like to uh, find out more about what we're doing in the upcoming conference. This summer is in Ireland. So um, hopefully we will see you there. I'm so excited. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Until the next one, take care. Thank you so much. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.